So who do you think are the front runners, and who are the clowns? Okay, well, I think Dennis Kucinich. He's not going to get very far. Did you see him at the State of the Union address, kind of tripping over himself to try to get a handshake from the president? No, I didn't see him, no. He's a ventriloquist, you know. You sure he's not the dummy? <laughs> I don't know. He's... Uh... Welcome to You Are the Guest, a weekly show where you can be the guest and tell people what you and your friends and neighbors think about news events and issues of the day. It's part talk show, part opinion poll, part reality show, and a whole lot of fun. And it's completely dependent upon your participation as a guest. To be considered as a guest for a future show, check out the website at www.youaretheguest.com for details. Now here is your program host, Bill Grady. Greetings from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa. And welcome to show number 73 of You Are the Guest, the show where we talk to everyday people just like you and me about their lives and about the issues of the day. Our guest today joins us from Las Vegas, Nevada. Jeff, welcome to You Are the Guest. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Jeff, can you tell our audience about yourself? Uh, sure. I, well, I'm a, right now I'm a published author. I have two books out, uh, Higgins and American Story and The Ballad of J.D. Higgins. And they're both uh, political fiction tales. I have uh, numerous short stories that I have written. And uh, the latest one is uh, The Devil's Caravan, which will be out on Amazon.com. It's a short for 49 cents uh, pretty soon. Um, I was uh, the former voice of the people in Little Rock, Arkansas. I would interview uh, different politicians on my radio program. And, uh, And here I am. Speaking with Bill. Now, you've got a, a book out. You said a fictional piece, correct? Yes. Yes, it is. Does real life mirror fiction or the other way around? Well, it's kind of hard to say because um, I wrote about, uh, you know, it's about one of America's first millionaires. And I, and I took uh, some, of the, some of the ideas that, I, that always inter- interested me and captivated me toward politics and uh, some of the back, backdoor deals that would take place. And uh, I can't really answer that for 100% certainty because uh, a lot of things that the public doesn't see. But uh, it wouldn't surprise me if some of the things that do take place in the book, you know, do take place in real life. Who said this? Without secrecy, it would be the ruin of my whole existence. That would be the main character, J.D. Higgins, who... uh, bases his life on uh, one big secrecy where, you know, if he, he, he belongs to secret society after secret society trying to hide from the IRS who says that he owes a bogus debt that they just put on him by the IRS commissioner, which is Cal Rainey from Mississippi, which J.D. Higgins is from Mississippi too. And uh, it's more of a conspiracy tale. And it talks about the book speaks about how, you know, things are not always what they seem, and um, anything can happen. And the story takes place in the 1930s. The Ballad of J.D. Higgins takes place in the 40s, and the setting is, setting there is in New Orleans. Why do you think that lawyers have a bad public image? Well, you know, I think that one of the reasons they have such a bad public image is they're forced to defend anyone. That's part of the Constitution. Um, 
take for example the uh, what what's the guy's name that kidnapped the two boys in Missouri? Yeah, his name escapes me too, but I know who you mean. Right, and now um, the normal, the average American says this guy's guilty, and then they say, "Do not give him a lawyer; just go ahead and lock him away." Well, you know that's what we want to say by on first instinct, but the man is an American citizen too, and he deserves the right to an attorney. And I think the attorneys get a bad rap for actually having to defend these guys that seem indefensible. And another thing that um, some of the big trial lawyers, you know, they they play for millions and millions of dollars, and and some people <clears throat> are just lawsuit happy. You know, they, some of them are called ambulance chasers, and some of them are just they're, they're ready to sue on the drop of a dime. With the bad public image, how much of it is actually deserved? Well, I think that, uh, you know, I kind of live by the philosophy that, you know, you get what you put into something and people get what they deserve when it comes to actually working hard and and having a good work ethic. Now, it's true that some people or some lawyers, as we are talking about, um, are unfairly judged by the actions of others. And that's unfortunate, but it happens in real life. It happens no matter what job or occupation that you have. Um, a few um, bad apples spoil the the whole uh, bucket, you know. You can't really say that it's not deserved because of the reflection of what they have done already in the past. And sometimes the high-profile lawyers are up there grandstanding, and you just got to say, come on, give me a break. That's and- true. That is true. John Edwards, I'm not a big fan of his. But uh, people say that he was a real good trial lawyer. And I believe he was responsible for bringing uh, millions to, uh, was it South Carolina or North Carolina? I think he's from South Carolina. South Carolina. And, um, you know, I think he's pretty much loved there. But, uh, you know, but you see, you hear about the other, other lawyers and the other trial lawyers. It makes you wonder about him as well, you know. True or false, the majority of members of Congress are lawyers. Uh, I'd probably say true. You are correct. You are correct. That is the number one profession in uh, congressmen, and by a wide, wide margin. So why do you think lawyers are drawn to politics? Well, it's part of the the congressional uh, um, lawmaking process, and that's what they do is they go in and and defend the laws or defend the uh, defendants. I think a lot of lawyers want to get involved in the actual lawmaking process. Now, my dad, he always told me um, that he had a problem with uh, doctors or lawyers um, being uh, congressmen or senators or anything of that nature because he thought it belonged to the normal. I'm not saying lawyers and doctors aren't normal people, but I'm saying the average person, the average American, because laws are nowadays are not designed for the... Um, average person, because most of the times when you read these laws that have been passed, they're not written in plain English. They're written in lawyer jargon, and um, it's hard to actually see what they're saying because they to say it in such a long-about way. And uh, that was one of his complaints. He always said, you know, if you're going to make laws for average people, the average people or the average person needs to know what it says. And maybe to follow up on that, because I think that's a very valid point, if we as Americans 
have a poor view of lawyers, then why do we overwhelmingly elect lawyers as our representatives in government? That's a good question. That's a very valid point that you raise. And it could be that that we just, uh, even though we do, we do not like lawyers as a nation, we know that they know what they're doing. And, you know, and it comes back. Or we, or we trust that they know what they're doing. Yeah, right. We trust that they do. Now, not always they do or they don't because, you know, the Mike Nifong, um situation down in uh, Duke, uh, North Carolina, that, you know, there's a lot of uh, ethical issues there, and he's uh, going for, up for ethical charges. Now, I personally would not vote for someone like that, for a congressman or senator or even president. But uh, a lot of people probably would, knowing that he has experience. And that's another thing about politicians. You never know who's going to get elected. One guy can come out of the dark and just say, okay, I'm running for uh, for president. And then all of a sudden in, uh, in Iowa or New Hampshire or Ohio, He's uh, you know, he's an actual front runner. You, you don't you don't know. You know, you never can tell about actual politics. Who's going to make it? And who's going to fall? Is there any connection to the reasons why lawyers have a bad public image to the reason why politicians have a bad public image? It could very well be. You know, there's a connection there because you know, like you said, that that there's there's more lawyers in in the in the Congress than there are uh, any other uh, occupations. So I'm sure it carries over that, you know, you, for an example, you, you cannot uh, be a lawyer one day and all of a sudden stop being that lawyer the next day when you're elected because a lot of a lot of the philosophies and a lot of the ideas will carry over into the other job. And that's my opinion on that. True or false, less than 100 members of Congress are millionaires. I would probably say that is true. That is false. Oh, is it false? 160 members of Congress are millionaires. Oh, okay. Uh, 40 in the Senate and 120 in the House. Okay, well, that's, that's still a large number, but it's not as bad as you would think when it comes to actual, as much, when you think of how much money it actually costs to uh, to run nowadays. Yeah, but a lot of those are through contributions. A lot, a lot of the times, they're not fronting the majority of it with their own money. That's true. That is true. So here, here's another uh, true/false. True/false. Most attorneys in Congress are Republicans. Uh, I don't know. That's a hard one. I don't know. I don't know. That is false. False. Yeah, the the majority of the attorneys in Congress are Democrats. Okay. Just just out of a kind of a quick poll, do you know who the richest member of Congress is? Uh, let me think. Uh, no, John Kerry. John Kerry is correct. Oh, okay. $750 million he's worth. Yeah, catch-up money. Yeah, that's right. Catch-up and catch-on money. Yeah, there you go. Hey, true or false, being elected to Congress puts you in the category as one of the top annual earners in America? Uh, probably false. No, that's true. Oh, is it really? Yeah, you're in the top 5% in America just by getting elected to Congress. Congress, your, your congressional representatives, make $168,000 a year. 168000 Right. Okay. And Speaker of the House gets $215,700 a year. So that's the only one that gets a little bit more is if you're Speaker of the House. Okay. 
Are Americans getting their money's worth? Um, well, I don't know. I was watching um, I, I was watching TV um, probably about a month or two back, and they said that um, they they surveyed the average American and asked them if they were satisfied with how Congress was doing, and they all an overwhelming majority said, "No, we're not satisfied." Then then the next part of the survey was, "Do you think you could do a better job?" And hands down, the most most of the people said, no way, I could not. So uh, I think a lot of people, they like to argue and complain and gripe about actually what's getting done or what's being done. And there's a legitimate gripe about that. But uh, we have to remember that they, they are the ones who ran. And if we feel that we can do a better job, you know, we should take it upon ourselves to actually run and serve and uh, try to get elected. And uh, if we feel that we're an injustice is being done, we are to take it upon us to actually bring a change, about change in Washington. That's something that we don't ever need to forget, that if, that if you think you, you can be, if you think that you can do a better job, you need to speak up and run. Well, and uh, I think that is, is a great, great point. And another idea, and it only takes five minutes a month. What I do is I have the members of Congress, for example, in Iowa, it's Tom Latham, Senator Harkin, and Senator Grassley. I've got three representatives on my email list. And once a month, I just send them a five-minute note saying, here's what I hear from our neighbors in Iowa, and here's what I think, and uh, just wanted to let you know. And if we could get more people to do that, I think that would also hold these people accountable and let them know that, Number one, somebody is watching them, but also it gives them some important feedback about what people in their districts or what people in their states are really thinking about. That's, that's correct. <clears throat> that reminds me, I, I did something similar to that, but I didn't do it every month. I, back in when the uh, immigration uh, protests were taking place, yes, American flags um, were actually not being flown. It was the uh, Mexican flags. Well, I had a, I personally had a problem with that. I, I emailed uh, Harry Reid. He's my senator out here, and one of the senators. And um, I told him how I thought about it. And uh, that's one thing I can say about Harry Reid, is if you send him an email or call his office, they'll return your call or return your email real quick. You know, he's right on the ball about things. Jeff, do you think it's possible for these multimillionaires and wealthy members of Congress to have a true understanding of what the average American faces on a day-to-day basis? I think that it is possible, but it would be more possible or be more likely that they do if they were actually born poor and born into poverty and then, made, then they were self-made. But now I'm not saying that that people who are who have inherited their money or anything like that are bad people because I'm not saying that at all. But um, You're just saying it's a different life experience. Right. That's what I'm saying. And I think that there is... There is some um, validity to that. The other thing that I, I will say is that, for example, uh, let's say Hillary Clinton, uh, somebody who, who did come from a middle-class background, but she was an, a lawyer, and then she became the wife of uh, the governor of Arkansas, and then became uh, the first lady and then senator. And it's been a long time since she's really lived that average American life. And for her to remember and have empathy for, say, the average American 
would be like me trying to have empathy for what a high school senior goes through today, 30 years later, out of high school. Right. I understand that. That's a very valid point that you raised. Jeff, I want to get some impressions from you about some of the candidates for president of the United States. First one, Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton is too polarized and she'll never make it. Rudy Giuliani. Too liberal for the Republican base. He won't make it. John Edwards. John Edwards, he'll make vice president, but if, if, but before he makes president. John McCain. John McCain changes his mind too much on issues. You don't know where he's going to go from one day to the next. Barack Obama. Barack Obama, his name's going to hurt him and his religion, religious background. It's going to be, he's going to be scrutinized real heavily. Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney, I like Mitt Romney, but uh, his, uh, his religious views are going to be scrutinized as well. Bill Richardson. Bill Richardson, he actually, I think he is one of the bigger, bigger threats to, the, to Hillary Clinton than, than the rest of them. I think him or Al Gore actually could pull it off. Mike Huckabee. Mike Huckabee, uh, I've talked to him. He's a good guy, but I don't think he's going to make president. He, he, he would make a good vice president, but he would probably never make president. Joe Biden. Joe Biden, uh, how many times is he going to run for president, right? That's right. Well, he's got nothing else to do every four years. <laughs> it's, it's either that or dancing with the network stars. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And the last one, Sam Brownback. Sam Brownback, I... He doesn't have a chance. You know, actually, there's really no front runners that I can actually see. It's going to, you know, someone's actually going to have to get stuck with it. But, you know, it's just there's no actually, there's no actual people that are standing out and yelling, you know, they're going to run away with it. And we've had a couple more that have jumped into the, the party, too. Right. How many of these people are, do you think actually have a chance and how many people are just fooling themselves? Well, you know, I think a lot of people are not actually, well, there's a few of them that um, have, you know, a better chance than others. So so who do you think are the front runners and who are the clowns? Okay, well, I think Dennis Kucinich, he's not going to get very far. Did you see him at the State of the Union address kind of tripping over himself to try to get a handshake from the president? No, I didn't see him, no. Yeah, he's a first-class clown. He's the only guy that I know that can make the armchair president look good. (laughs) He's a ventriloquist, you know. Can't recall his name, but Ed Gillespie, was he the Republican uh, uh, chairman? Mm -hmm. They they were doing a comedy act in Washington, D.C. on C-SPAN where it was a celebrity thing, and they had a dummies they were holding so Kucinich was a ventriloquist yeah you sure he's not the dummy <laughs> I don't know he's uh, he's uh he looked like uh you know one of the little puppets up there with the glass being they, they, but they were hilarious you know I mean I'm not a fan of uh, uh Kucinich's politics but uh he, he's a hilarious guy you know he's, he's funny but I don't think but he doesn't have a chance with the White House so you've got Kucinich as one of the clowns. Who else would be one of the clowns? Christopher Dodd. And why? Uh, he, people, people don't know him outside of Connecticut. You know, he has. You know, they they may know the name if they pay attention to the politics, but they're but they're but he just, in my opinion, he's just not going to get very far. 
he's not going to get very far. Um, I think Al Gore, if he decides to run, he's going to have a real shot at it. And for the Republican side, uh, Giuliani or, or uh, uh, McCain may end up uh, with the nominations, but I would be surprised because they still have to consider the conservative base. And Newt Gingrich may uh, end up carrying that. Can I throw out another name, too? Sure. Colin Powell. What's your impressions of Colin Powell if he were to choose to run? Uh, he was. He would probably have a shot at it, you know. Um, I really haven't thought a whole lot about Colin Powell actually running, but I have heard of people saying that he could. And uh, there was talk that they, uh, on the Internet, I was reading on a message board a couple weeks ago where they said that, uh, you know, what the – Republicans should do is run Condoleezza Rice and Colin Powell against um, Barack Hussein. Or not Barack. What, what am I thinking? I'm used to hearing all the people say his name. Though, Barack what? Obama. Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. Or Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama ticket. Yeah, I was going to say, Hillary doesn't want to take second best. That's right. I, w- I should have said her name first. You know, cause I, How dare you? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm ashamed. <laughs> but uh, Hillary Clinton will definitely be running for president or um, before she takes backseat to Barack Obama. I had another guest that, that brought up another point, and we've discussed this a, a couple of different times, but it's a very valid point. Since 1980, we've had either a Bush or a Clinton as president or vice president. So I guess my question to Hillary would be, can't you give this country a break? You know, We talk about a two-party system. What about a two-family political system? Well, it's, you, you bring up a valid point, but you know, I I think that would um would only hurt the country. And the reason I say that is because right now, as it is, if you're 35 and an American citizen, you can run for president. And I really don't think we should be messing with that because if you, you look back in the history of the Roosevelts, their their ideas and political philosophies were were not exactly eye to eye, and they had different uh, theories. And uh, I see your point that you raise. I really do. But I think that we should be careful when um, limiting uh, presidential candidates. And I don't think that we should make that into law or anything. I just right. was hoping maybe she would have a little self-restraint. Right. But It's like, you know, the Bushes. I mean, how many Bushes are there? There's like 20 of them. Yeah. And say, let's, let's do a hypothetical here. Let's say that Hillary becomes president uh-huh. and she runs and is successful to two terms, eight years. Right. Jeb Bush could be up after those eight years. And so, once again, we've got this two-family system. So I think that the country, obviously, anybody can run that wants to. But maybe if we really want some change, we should think about having someone else other than a Clinton or a Bush in the White House for a while. That's an interesting point because also you have to remember you have to have George Bush's nephews yeah, and they're 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 political inclined too. Yeah, and it could go on and on, and then and then you've got all the offshoots. For example, Bill Richardson is a, uh, a Clinton protege, you could say. Yeah, Bill uh, uh, Bill Richardson. Uh, he is he has been uh, what's that word primed? Not really primed, but he's been he's, he's been, been groomed a lot. Yeah, groomed. He's been uh, he's been groomed. He and you know if you if you're gonna run for someone, if you're going to work for someone, a president, if you're a Democrat, Bill Clinton would have been the guy to work for. 
because he's extremely charismatic. People like him. The guy couldn't couldn't do no wrong, even though he did. He got caught and did things he shouldn't have been doing. Now you lived in Arkansas, during, right? It, was he the governor when you lived in Arkansas? Yes. And what was your impression of him as a governor, and also Hillary as first lady of Arkansas? Well, uh, as a governor, um, you know he was he was well liked. Um, a lot of people really, uh, you know. Says people said they done better under Bill Clinton uh, as governor governorship, and uh, Hillary Clinton. I really don't really have much of an opinion on her as uh, the first uh, lady of the state, but but I did notice that when he left office, a lot of a lot of governors that came after him. There was uh, one, two, three. I believe there was two or three. I can't recall that one of them, Jim Guy Tucker. He went to jail over the Whitewater deal, and he was the governor of Arkansas, and it all happened after Bill Clinton left. Now, people say that Bill Clinton did things while he was governor. Um, I, have no, I haven't seen actual proof that he did, but even if he did, or if he didn't, the fact remains is that people were going to jail after he, he left office, and there was no pardon or anything like that. So it kind of makes me wonder what, what was actually going on. Bill Clinton handed out a lot of pardons, but not to those guys. No, not, some of them. Some of them got them, and some of them did not. So it must have been something personal. Is that going to come back to bite Hillary? Well, that's one thing that she has to keep in mind. Is uh, you know she's carrying a lot of his uh, skeletons, you know, and a lot of his uh, baggage. And Hillary, has, you know, she has baggage of her own as well. And uh, like what? Well, you know, there's there's things, and um, I really I really hate to say it because uh, it's just rumor and hearsay, you know. Like there was like there's a judge in Arkansas that, that supposedly um, committed suicide. Well, there was talk that you know the Clintons had this done, you know. And some of the you know the the more right wing end of the party, they're going to go after that. Yeah, that seems a little extreme. Right, but people are just going to go after that, you know. Anything that they can do and smear, and that's what they do is they smear. And another thing is like Hillary Clinton and the Newt Gingrich, if they actually run off against each other, that's going to be the dirtiest campaign of all time. Oh, I think the Democrats, I mean, whoever is left standing after that bloodbath, um, some of them aren't going to have political careers left. Right. I think she is going to go after them with tooth and nail, and one of two things can happen is that uh, she will destroy a couple of the candidates' political careers completely, mm-hmm. and but to do so, she may lose the the big war because the general electorate is going to see her as being big and mean because look at what she did to destroy all these Democrats. Right. And is that somebody we really want as our president? Well, personally, I'm not a fan of Hillary Clinton, but uh, you know if. But if she's able to pull it off, then she deserves congratulations, congratulatory measures, and a round of applause. But um, I just, I just don't agree with her politics. You know, I have a friend in New York who lives in New York. He's a writer. He said that he'll vote for Hillary Clinton the day that he finds out where she actually did something for New York as a senator. He said he's looked and he can't, he cannot find anything that she's actually done. Why do you think New Yorkers love Hillary Clinton? Well, because she could have gone back to Arkansas, correct, and run as a senator there. 
she could have, but she probably burnt too many bridges, you know. You know, because she, she actually was, wasn't she from Chicago? She was originally from Chicago, and then uh, Bill and, and her, obviously, were in Arkansas. And She could have went anywhere, you know, and she chose New York. And maybe it could have been the population, more of a population, an actual, for, a, you know, get more um, credibility as a senator because you have more people. And that, would, that answer would make the best sense to me. Jeff, it's time to play Ask Bill 3, and this is where I'm going to turn the microphone over to you, and you get to ask me three questions about anything, so fire away. All right, what do you think about the uh, legal immigration issue? What should, what should we do with the borders? Well, I think we need to secure the borders, and I also think that we need to take a look at what we can do to assimilate the population, either either good or bad, into the American way of life. Okay. What do you think? What do I think? Well, I think that we have to we have well, we have to do something with the borders. We have to secure them first and foremost, and then we'd go from there. And um, you know, it, we it would be a shame to just amnestize everyone in. But on the same token, I'm, I'm able to see that that something has to be done. But we we should not trample over the people who have came here legally and do the paperwork and file and everything because they, they deserve to be here first because they actually did it the legal way and the American way, which is follow the laws. Now, it is true a long time ago people actually came here and left. People came and left on their own free will, just came and go as they pleased. But times have changed. The laws have changed, and part of being a good American is actually following the laws and obeying the laws of the, laws of the land. So if the laws are actually come here, say come here legally, then that's what we should do, and that's you know that's not just one sided. That's actually me going into Mexico too. I need to actually follow the, the laws and do what I'm asked to do if I want to go to Mexico or Canada or Germany or wherever. That's my opinion. And it's a very complicated situation because of the fact that you've got some citizens that are legal citizens because they've been born here. But their parents are, are illegal Im- immigrants, and so I, I feel for those families, and especially with the prospect of saying, "Well, you know, your children can stay, but your parents have to go." Um, you know, it's a very, very complicated situation. It, but, it, but I, I, I agree. We've got to shut down the borders, and if nothing else, say nobody else can come in for a while until we get this settled. Uh, ready for your next question? Absolutely. Okay. What do you see Congress doing? Do you, do you actually think they're going to get anything done with the Republicans and the Democrats in there, or is it just going to be another standstill? It's just a big song and dance. It is uh, something that goes like, we're against what you stand for, and you're wrong. And the next side's going to say, well, look at the, look at them. They're picking on us, and uh, they're not offering any solutions. And then at the end of the conversation, they're going to look at each other and say, shall we meet same time next week? Yep. Works good for me. Okay, bye. Yeah. And it's just it's just this constant song and dance. I, I had an interesting conversation with a guest a, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, this was after the interview. And he, he asked me, why don't, why don't they just go after Bush? You know, why don't they just go after him and impeach him and get him out of office? And it's like, because they don't want to kill him. You know, they want him around for a reason. Right. And they also don't want the tables turned on them if... Uh, there's a Democratic president out there. so That's true. Your opinion on that? 
kind of touch on the impeachment issue. Uh, Rosie O'Donnell said the other day that she wants uh, Bush to be impeached. Well, has she forgotten that uh, Dick Cheney will take over when he leaves? And uh, I don't think she's going to like him at all. And, uh, you know, one of the things that that could be going on or the Republicans could put to their to the uh, to their agenda is to uh, actually try to make the Democrats anger the American public with their stance on the Iraq war by not funding the troops, which is a smart move politically by the Republicans, but by the because the Democrats are going to feel that they have to fund the troops or be seen as unpatriotic. So it's catch twenty two for the Democrats, and like for the Republicans, it's a smart move, and. But also, on the same token, the Democrats are not going to let that just rest. The, Republic, the Democrats are going to come after Republicans hard. They're going to come after the president like they've been doing. And uh, it's, just, it's a game. You know, it's a chess game is all it is. It is a big game, and one of the big players, though, is big corporate business. And big corporate business has friends on both sides. And that's why they're not going to kill each other. Right, you ready for your next one, Bill? Absolutely. All right, how, how, how are we going to win the Iraq war? What, how are we, what are we going to do there? The thing that, that goes through my mind, and, and this is something that I wrote to both of the Iowa senators and, and also to Congressman Tom Latham, that I hope that we are listening to what the troops and the commanders who are on the ground are saying and basing what we need to do for them on that information and not speculation from the headquarters far away in D.C., but talking to the troops that are actually there and saying, what do you think you need here to to win the war and keep the peace? So I hope that we're, we're doing that. If, if they're saying we need more troops, and if we send more troops, I hope that is coming from the people that are on the ground. And I hope that then we're giving them that backup. The other thing, obviously, is that the Iraqi people need to stand on their feet and need to be able to run their own government. But if you look at the history of this country, we didn't do that right off the bat either. I mean, it it took a while. For example, as soon as we won the Revolutionary War, there were a lot of people that said, you know, I'm moving back to England. And a lot of people that said, this is a screwed up government. Why would I ever want to be a part of this? And so even in our country, it took a long time to solidify the democracy. Right. How about for you? Well, I, I think it's, you know, it's really, it's, it's kind of simple. Be, what we have to do is we have to allow the military to do their job. The military are highly trained individuals, and when the politicians cannot play politics with, with the military. So you and I agree on that. Right. And, you know, like like the uh, Marines that are being, uh, that are, uh, that are in the hole now because of uh, they shot the unarmed Iraqis or, or supposedly the unarmed Iraqis or whatever. You know that, that you don't fight a war like that. A war is a war. War is never pleasant. War is terrible. It's terrible. It's you know it's something that we hope we never go to. But the fact remains, we are in a war, and you cannot be prosecuting your own troops for for fighting. And it's sad, and it you know it's really disturbs me when I see. The politicians going after their own, you know, the military for for doing their job, and that's not right. 
Jeff, do you want to tell about your book and how people can find out more information about yourself as an author and also how they might be able to pick up your book? Sure. Um, both books, Higgins and an American Story, and The Ballad of J.D. Higgins, is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, uh, Books a Millions websites. Uh, some stores um, carry it. Um, I haven't actually looked to see which stores are carrying it in a long while. So um, you can always um, go in and, and check and see if it's there. If the titles are not there, they can order them for you. Uh, like I said, the newer short story, The Devil's Caravan, will be out on Amazon Shorts program um, list very soon. Um, if you would like to drop on my website, it's www.freewebs.jeffreysmiller, and I spell Jeffrey with an E-R-Y instead of the normal R-E-Y. That's Jeffrey S. Miller. And um, that's basically it. Um, I enjoyed my time on the show, and it was a pleasure being here and speaking with you, Bill, and speaking to your audience. And I've enjoyed it, too, and, and want to thank you so much for being our guest this week on You're the Guest. No problem. Anytime you need me, just give me a call. If you'd like to be a guest on a future show, just go to our website at www.youaretheguest.com. Submit your first name, the town where you live, and a short description on why you'd make a good guest. There is no charge for being a guest, and you'll have the opportunity to share what you think and how the news and events from today affect your life. The show's producers will contact you by email if you're chosen for a future show. Remember that you can listen to the show every day at Coolcast Radio. And of course, we always appreciate your subscriptions at iTunes and Yahoo Podcasts. That concludes this week's edition of You Are the Guest from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa. I'm Bill Grady. Thanks for listening.